When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to England Cricket on 99.94 Cricket Every Day. I'm Daniel Norcross, recently returned from Australia where I have been commentating on England's extraordinary victory in the World T20 for the BBC. And I am, as always, joined by the Chief Cricket Writer of the Press Association, the Puff Pastry Hangman himself, Slightly hungover <laughs> after a night on recently, the lash. It's recently returned from Derby. It's a little bit different to uh, to your travels, a little bit closer to home, but uh, full of the joys of life and uh, an acerbic view on all things cricket, I'm sure, if, if and when we can think of what we want to say about it. Well, do you know, I mean, a lot of people don't have many good words to say about Derby. <laughs> and uh, what I would say is that it's... It's a damn sight better than Canberra. Well, so, mm, stick that in and smoke it. I like Derby for the record. <laughs> anyway. England, it's land of hope and well, dreams. Yeah, good for you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll delve into that on another <laughs> day, tip. perhaps. Uh, <laughs> Yes, on fan- on Fantasy Sunday. England Cricket on 99.94 is your new home for England Cricket content. And we will be dropping into your podcast feed and on YouTube or the 99.94 app several times every week. So please do rate, review and subscribe. Thanks for joining Cricket's Conversation. Today, we are well, going to look at the first two games in what some people have been saying is the single most pointless three-match, one-day international series ever devised by man or beast. <laughs> pointless, pointless maybe, but is it pointless if you're Dawid Balan, if you're David Willey, if you're any of those fringe players, Liam Dawson, trying to knock on the door before a World Cup? That is what we will look at in our second part. And then finally, we've got some bits of information or news really to give you from the world of England women's cricket with the announcement of a new coach and... A whole new draft for the 100. We'll be delving into that in some detail in our third part. But first of all, let us break down the premise, Rory Dollard. How pointless is this one-day international series? So firstly, let me put it into a little bit of context. The World Cup final at the MCG played against Pakistan in a fervid and remarkable atmosphere in front of over 80,000 people. was played out on Sunday, the... Uh, is that the 13th of November? I think it was. It's only a week ago today that I was there watching it and marvelling, spine-tingling atmosphere that it was as England became the first side in the history of white ball cricket to be both world champions in the 50-over format and in the T20 format. People have talked a lot about this and there were drunken revelries into the night as we discussed where Joss Butler and Ben Stokes would sit in the pantheon of great English cricketers from WG Grace through C.B. Fry and Wally Hammond, Joss you, Butler, you Ben Stokes, all this there, conferred on them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that. It's, it was just a week ago. And then three days later, I had already left. My dear colleagues, Henry Moran, Alex Hartley, and their producer, Adam Mountford, trooped off dutifully to Adelaide to watch the first one-day international. And England put out 
team. Um, was it a B team? Was <laughs> it a C team? Um, they fulfilled was, the fixture. It was a team. It was a team of 11 English qualified players and they were playing against really rather strong Australian side that was pretty much their A team. So look, put it into context for us, Rory. Pointless? Is it just fulfilling a fixtures or is it actually very important warm-up matches for Australia and for England when not much 50-over cricket is played and there's a World Cup not that far away? Well, I will try. If you'd say to me, uh, put this one-day series in context, my first answer would be, what one-day series? It isn't, it's not cracking the surface, is it? It just isn't, it's a, non, it's a non-event, unfortunately. Uh, the fans the, the fans aren't turning up. They're, they've been bled dry from the fixture list and having a World Cup and a you know big busy schedule coming up. And this is absolutely lowest on the totem pole. Bear in mind, we already had a white ball bilateral series between England and Australia before the T20 World Cup. We did this already. Like we reignited the famous rivalry already and it was, you know, fine. But this just, it's just rubbish. It, it doesn't need to happen. It's just like the World Cup 19 which we kind of forget that they rolled those lads out, half of them anyway, to play a test match at Lords against Ireland five minutes after they'd celebrated the World Cup and almost made a balls of it. And almost, I mean, this seems worse in a way because I've never, I don't know about you, I've never heard such overt disinterest from, from the players. I, you know, Moen Ali says it's horrible. Yeah. Moen Ali, who is a, a, not, wouldn't even have had a hangover, and half of them would. Uh, but he said it's horrible mm. scheduling. Even I mean, Mitch Stark, who didn't go as deep um, as some of the England lads, was saying it was silly schedule. Um, Butler didn't Butler say, "Well, you know, his first reaction to losing game one was so what <laughs> that he didn't play game two. Yeah. It just it does nothing for the product, and and it, I don't want to be really crassly commercial about it, but England Australia is something." It matters in cricket and it has to matter or there isn't anything. We don't have international cricket if that doesn't matter. And they're diluting it and making it seem banal and run of the mill. And this series, I don't know anybody. Honestly, I don't know anybody who's watching it. Didn't, people don't know it's happening. Uh, well, do you know, I, I, I will say that I did watch it because I had terrible jet lag. <laughs> so I woke up at about quarter past three in the morning and I yeah. couldn't get back to sleep. And I paced around, and then I went, oh, there's yeah. a cricket match on. Uh, then I turned it on, and I saw that, well, neither side... Well, the Australians, I think, did see the opportunity of getting a couple of easy wins yeah. over England by putting out a very strong side. But England didn't, and I don't know whether I'm slightly disappointed by that or I find it completely understandable, because, you know, that T20... World T20 was quite an intense mm. experience. And you've already alluded to the fact that England played three warm-up games against Australia. They played seven Pakistan, warm-up yeah. games against Pakistan. So they were going into that, that tournament on the back of actually 11 games because there was that yeah. other crazy fixture against Pakistan in, in Brisbane. Don't forget. So they'd had 11 of these games and then... The real business, and then they were, they were right into knockout mode almost after is, you know after that island game they were they were into intense knockout mode from that point onwards. Exactly. Well, exactly because because rain had been in the air and because New Zealand had thrashed Australia, that meant that net run rate was always going to favour New Zealand so much so that they were kind of over the hills and far away. So suddenly, 
England really had to win all but one of their games, messed one of them up badly. Um, and so the, the pressure when you've flown basically to the other side of the world and you failed to win under Owen Morgan and you're Joss Butler and Matthew Mott and you've got all that going on and you've got the scrutiny of it. They didn't have a great summer, don't forget, in England. And then to come out on top in front of a massive crowd. I mean, like, just to reiterate... Yeah, the crowds in Australia for most of the tournament were deeply disappointing, but whenever India was playing or Pakistan was playing, the atmosphere was intense. And they get home in that final, and it shouldn't be about, you know, having a hangover because they're professional sports people, and you can celebrate, you know. There are ways of doing these things without getting completely obliterated. <laughs> but it's you've got to have a little bit of yeah. time to reflect on what you've done. And all of the the mental and physical energy that goes into doing that. And what would it have been? I imagine they'd have got Monday off because that was a yeah, reserve day. Tuesday. Tuesday, the travel. That's when my TMS mm. team went. They travelled on Tuesday to have a day in Adelaide Wednesday before the game on Thursday. I mean, that is, as you say, diluting the product. I would say, though, Rory, that this is not new. Um, what was the what was the year England played seven one day internationals against yeah, Australia. Oh, yeah. Seven. Yeah, I know, I know. Um, but listen, I, I want to make the point as well. It's not as though like people would get angry if they thought that England were going out wearing the shirt, you know, and and swinging the lead, tossing it off. It's not. It's not that. It isn't that. It's the fact that when two elite teams like that go up against in a game of T Twenty, where the margins are pretty fine, like what what settles it? Do you have to be do you have to be five percent off your game, and then that's it? You're out of it. Probably five. five yeah, you know, it's, it's that kind of number. And in in for whatever reason, no no lack of professionalism. If you've just scaled the mountain and won a World Cup and got to the end of a journey, a very clear fixed end point, you are going to be at the end of that partially checked out. You're not as you're not as keenly focused. And to be playing again four days later, you're going to be at least five, 10% down on intensity. And in a game of cricket, England versus Australia, that'll do you every time. That'll sort the result out. So it's not particular. I mean, did anybody expect England to win? Nobody did. And thus they haven't. They've lost two games. They haven't been massively no. competitive and don't appear. Now, again, not saying this is unprofessional, but it's not ripping their heart and soul out, to be honest. Nor should it. No, it isn't. Um, we're going to drill down very shortly, into those games. So because whilst you're saying England haven't been competitive, they have at moments been competitive, and they have, for some people, been some potential, potential, not career-saving, but career-enhancing performances that may see them work their way into that first team. Because there is, after all, as we keep on saying, a one-day international World Cup coming up in less than 12 months' time. So we'll have a short break, and when we come back, we will discuss exactly that. Hi, I'm Nikesh Raghani, commentator and host of the India on 99.94 podcast. Several times each week, my co-host Sarah Waris and I will be bringing you the very best in Indian cricket chat. Whether we're discussing the legend of Jhulan Goswami, 
Kale Rahul's strike rate, the men's T20 death bowling woes, or the latest controversy involving the BCCI, we've got you covered. You can listen and subscribe via your usual podcast provider. Just search for India on 99.94. You can watch us via YouTube and you can download the 99.94 app. If you love Indian cricket, then join our conversation. Welcome back. So it's pointless. It's utterly ridiculous. It's futile. There's no need for it. Um, nobody's watching it. Try telling that to BT, because <laughs> bless them, they bought the rights and they're paying people to go and sit in the studio in the middle of the night. Steve Harmison's managing to get excited. Stoes with Matt Pryor. And I tell you, if they were paying me, I would be thrilled <laughs> at the prospect of another one day international between England and Australia. Um, but they're Come not. Come and get me, so, plea from uh, Norcross. The cynic in me is able to... Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not... I, I, I'm not averse to that at all. Anybody out there who wants to come and get me, please do <laughs> come and get me. Um, but whilst we've been cynical about this, let's take a look at some of the performances in these matches. Now at Adelaide, yes, England were beaten, soundly beaten by six wickets with 3.1 overs to spare. But having really looked entirely uncompetitive for the first 25 overs, Dawood Milan produced a magnificent innings of 134 throughout actually England throughout the throughout the innings England maintained a run rate in excess of five and over they still had that kind of aggressive way in which they were playing it could have looked slapdash it could have looked like well they didn't care but I think actually it is the game plan that England wants to to, to use and they made 287 it's a shirt front mm. of Adelaide as England knew but India didn't to their cost in the World Cup semi-final of the T20 so actually competitive total on that pitch with England's second string bowling was probably nearer 350. But that was a terrific knock from mm. David Milan. And David Milan, I want, I, want to, I want you to talk to me about David Milan because you've toured around him. I did in 2017-18. In He's seen as a kind of Australia specialist. He was taken out there again last mm. year, 21-22. Started the series well and then went into a bit of a nosedive. But when he plays the way he did in that first one day international, such dreamy cover drives, sudden, it's like a slog waft sweep from Pat Cummins came out of nowhere, nicely. planted into the stands for six. He pulls nicely. He does pull nicely. Um, David Milan, is he going to cement a place in the 50 overside? Because he's always seems to be a kind of person that all England fans, yeah, exactly and right. to a degree, the selectors go, well... Yeah, let's put him in. Let's put him in at sea. But he doesn't let him down very no, often, doesn't, does he? No, he I like Milan, actually. And I think he's quietly put together quite a nice little England career. And he's never he's never felt absolutely permanent uh, in any of the teams, really. And then you just just took a quick one on the Ashes. You're like, his, his form in the Ashes did drop off. But he was England's second best player after Root when the series was alive. He He... He was there in the really gritty moments when the thing was still active and alive and up for grabs. So I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. Um, does he cement his place in the ODI team? I think I think it's hard. I think it's hard to get him and Root in at three and four, where they'd probably have to be three and four. I think we're back to our favourite uh, our favourite double entendre of two wankers. Um, uh, <laughs> I probably went a bit too far. Two two anchors um, of of Milan and Stokes in the T Twenty team. I think I think Milan might have to be the alternate route 
you know, if if Root isn't, can you not? Can you not in fifty over in fifty over cricket? Can you not just possibly cope with another angle, especially one that's going at a strike rate of about eighty-five to ninety? Yeah, which can do it. I mean, in in that innings, he's got great acceleration as well. I just do wonder that the way England play white ball cricket is marvellously aggressive, but they do mm. lose wickets in 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 doing so quite frequently, as they did again in in the second game. So actually. Two anchors at three and four, but they're not slow scoring not, but they're, anchors but they're, they're, to, to get you through those overs up to 35. They are both people who you know, bat through, nice, though. Like they, they, there's, there's a chance that both, because Milan is quite tunnel vision, and Root sets his, oh, how nice Mug. Mug uh, Root sets his course for the last for the end of the game and lets people bat around him. So you could find yourself with a bit of unused artillery with those two. I think, I think Milan probably is the alternate to Root, if I'm honest. But... A very, a really, a really decent cricketer, competitive, and has actually scrapped for for what he's got with England. He, he hasn't had it easy, I don't think, and he hasn't been. Don't think he's ever been one of the obvious lads who who they like to pick just for the sake of picking them. He, he's had to work for it. So he, it, it's it's interesting actually that we say the series is pointless. It's interesting that he comes up with the big performance of the first two games because he misses out on that final. And the semi-final, and you know, he gave that interview to the guys out there saying that he shed a tear and he thought he'd done enough to prove his fitness. So within a pointless fixture, there are things to fight for. And he he certainly obviously felt like there was a bit to fight for. We've got other people. Billings is around. Dawson, you mentioned. Luke Wood made his debut. Now, do I think anything that happens in this series is going to really advance anyone's case for a World Cup in India at the back end of next year, no, I don't. I think it's a bit of an island. I think it's existing on its own sort of frame of reference, this thing. I think they'll go to the big names. I th- there's not actually that many ODIs, is there, between the, now and the World Cup? So I'm not no. sure there's much of a... I'm not sure there's much to fight for, really. I think the pecking order is about where it's at at the moment. And I, I think... That, yeah. How about how about let me let me put one thing to you though one thing that in the second game at Sydney uh, the bowlers restricted Australia to two hundred and eighty odd and there was a point in that run chase despite having lost two very quick wickets none for mm. two weren't they um, when Billings and Vince looked like they were taking control of the game and if they get England over the line in a game like that in a live rubber they didn't as it happened but they both put in tidy performances both both got half centuries had they got over the line does that just say to the selectors you know they've got to they've got to be part of the rotation as we look to what England's one day side is because don't forget that there's no Ben Stokes so oh if you take Ben Stokes out of the equation and he is kind of an anchor actually in mm. one day cricket which is partly why I wondered if that does open a door for Milan but it certainly might open a door for someone like Vince or for Billings as well and similarly, because I'm asking you two questions at once, because this is just before we go to our next break. What about, what does this do for Jason Roy? Yeah. Because if anything, might this series be a way of actually going, well, right, well you've been given another chance yeah. in there and it's not happening. Alex Hales, in you come to the 50 well, over team as well. Roy, that's, that is absolutely correct. Roy has had a real nosedive. It's gone really quite badly wrong for him. He loses his place in the in the T20 setup right at the minute you don't want to and he's been watching his mates lift a World Cup so he's not in a great spot 
Rob Key says when he picks that squad, you know, nothing to fear for Jason Roy, because actually we think 50 overs is best format. Pumps his tyres up. And then Roy goes and gets bombed out twice. So he could do... He, the big the third game is a big one for him, because he needs to show some signs of, of trending upwards so that he can get out of this funk. Now, England aren't going to be short of offers for opening bats. It's a, you know it's, it's somewhere where they're pretty well stocked. I Besto is the Bob Besto comes back for a start, and he's just an absolute gun in fifty over cricket. So we should be consider him a lock. But it, would it be would it be crazy or would it be a waste to consider Butler to open in fifty overs? Would it would that be a waste of his finishing talents? Because really he 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 can bat through it, and if if. I just like I like the idea in twenty over cricket of let Joss Butler face as many balls and as many overs as he can, mm. and I'm not entirely convinced. I hate that logic in fifty overs. Um, I, I agree with you entirely, actually. Um, partly because, as you know, I've got something of a pash for old uh, mm. Joss, and I've always wanted there to be the day, and I believe it could happen when he could open the batting in a fifty over match and be there at the end yeah. of that. And be on 250. If he's, if he's there for 50 overs, he gets, he, well, he gets yeah, a double hundred. Exactly. He? he gets a double hundred. So he's not, he's not batting for 50 no, overs and getting I less just, than I a double look at hundred. It and I know that there's nuances that I am probably uh, not across and, and not up to speed with. I'm sure there always are. But I look at Josh Butler and I think, yeah, I really like Josh Butler in a 10 over power play. I'd, I'd like, you know, he's going to hit, when he hits the gaps, they're going to go. Mm. He actually is a guy who increasingly can stay around. And he doesn't, he's not just a 30 off 15 balls guy. He kind of, you know, he makes chunky scores and he's got a good, a good range of, of scoring. And I just think, I don't know, why don't we want this guy to just bat as long as possible in every single game? And I think without the test cricket being in his mind now, and we can fairly well shut the door on that. Don't know why he wouldn't, don't know why he wouldn't want that challenge really. And he, there was times in this T20 World Cup where Butler he won the toss against, was it Sri Lanka? One of the games he just wanted to get, he just decided he won the, he won the toss and he just wanted to get out and back. So he wanted to k- dictate the game and control the narrative. Just do that. I think, yeah, I think there's a chance. I think Butler might have, might have a better chance than Hales. I, I, I could be wrong, but I don't know that Hales for 50 overs is really going to happen. Despite the fact that he... Holds the highest individual score for England in one day. Yeah, he's cricket, isn't not it, done bizarre? a lot of it recently, though. Isn't... No, well, no one's done a lot of it recently because no one <laughs> yeah, gets to true. play it. So, I mean, that's that's the other thing we're watching is a bunch of T20 cricketers being told you've got to stand out there for yeah. two and a half times as long, which is, is quite the mindset. It's time for us to take our final break. After that, we are going to update you with some news from the England women's setup. Hi, I'm Mark Machado, broadcaster and Sri Lankan cricket fan. Every week, Estelle Vazu, Devon and myself will drop several episodes of Sri Lanka on 99.94, keeping you up to date on the latest from the Sri Lankan cricketing world. If you want to know what Hasaranga is up to, where Chabri Athapattu scored her runs, or what Naroshan Dickweller has been discussing behind the stumps, then make sure to watch or listen to Sri Lanka on 99.94. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, on YouTube and on the 99. 99- 9.94 app. Join the Shrunken Crooked Conversation and get involved. 
So England's women have, uh, as often happens, been rather overlooked. Uh, they don't play, obviously, as many games as England's men. I say obviously, there's no reason why they shouldn't play as many games as England's men, but they haven't for a little while played and they're going off to tour in the West Indies shortly, a tour that has only recently had their fixtures confirmed, one that is going to be virtually invisible and virtually inaudible, which is in its own way an absolute scandal. Um, I can't tell you how much that angers me, but <laughs> but it does and there's absolutely nothing I can do about it. But they have been, uh, for some time now, been in search of a new coach, Lisa Kitely, having decided that uh, she'd had enough. She'd um, stewarded the England team through an incredibly difficult time through COVID, through the Ashes, through a Women's T20 World Cup, through a Women's 50 Over World Cup. England didn't quite have the success that they would have liked, perhaps, under Kitely, but there were circumstances that made it more difficult. Um, just of late, they've been without their captain, Heather Knight. They've been without Nat Siver and Catherine Brunt. Um, Hopefully all those wrinkles are about to be ironed out and they have announced a new coach and it is it is John Lewis. What do we make of that? John Lewis, a man who looks remarkably like uh, Richard II. <laughs> he's, he's, got, he's got a fantastically sort of 13th century uh, visage to him. The, but I'm, I'm hoping he's going to bring 21st century coaching. That was one of the key components. They were looking for a, um, a passing resemblance to a monarch. So uh, he did check that. I think it's an interesting... Plantagenet king. I think it's an interesting yeah. appointment, actually. <laughs> he is a guy who has been very EC, you know, very ECB. He, he had a bit of time at Sussex, obviously. He took the Young Lions to a World Cup, the under-19s. Pretty well, good job there, I think. I think he was pretty well thought of. Joined the setup under Silverwood as the he became Silverwood's bowling coach because that was the position Silverwood had previously held before he was head coach. Toured around with the team, you know, he was there in the ashes, just gone. He probably probably didn't mention in the interview, did he? Probably didn't didn't bring that up. Um, and and he he'd actually just not long ago he'd been sort of eased into a bit of a sideways sideways stroke, slightly down, moving sort of a, a wider developmental brief and probably looking at doing a bit of Loughborough work. So not surprised that he was looking, but a really, yeah, a really interesting appointment. I think it's good. I think it's good that he's English. Sorry to be all boring about this, but it would have been disappointing to me if they'd have gone for another Aussie. We, every, I mean, it's the first coaching appointment England have made for a while that isn't an Australian, so that's good. <laughs> um, and we, we gather Ashley Nofku was, mm-hmm. was sort of in the, in the hunt for it. But Lewis uh, will have, so his specialism is in, pace bowling coach and he was the he was the Joffre whisperer he was really it's a bit reductive to say but he sort of it feels like he got that England coaching job because he was exceptionally close to Joffre from he, he was his Joffre lived with him in Hove for a bit when he moved to over to Sussex had a very good relationship with him and England's great unsolved mystery at that time was how do we get the best out of Joffre Archer in test cricket now for almost the entirety of his spell in charge of the fast bowlers. He didn't have Joffre Archer. He was injured, so it didn't quite we didn't quite get to scratch the surface of what that meant. Uh but one thing Lisa Kitely did was freshen up the scene bowling out- outlook with Lauren Bell, with you know Freya Kemp, Freya Davis, Izzy Wong. Izzy Wong. Yeah, Freya you know, Davis, so what they've got is Freya a little Kemp, yep. a little battery of bowlers there who maybe could really, really, really benefit from John Lewis's specialism. And it would be it would be a really nice thing if England could get a, a incisive, sort of super skilled fast bowling attack because their spin options are good, um, and they've got a young set of fast bowlers that John Lewis can get his 
sort of get, get stuck into. So I think that's really a positive thing. One thing I would say about John Lewis, I think he needs to potentially think about how he presents in public. He wasn't the best uh, in in media engagements, and that isn't the be-all and end-all. I realise that. But he was defensive and guarded and a bit snippy. Didn't like, he didn't like being asked if England had a bad day if they got balled out for 80. And sometimes you just mm. got to wear it. Uh, and I think if he's in the head coach's job, he needs to be a bit more open and engaged with that process. But if that's the only black mark against him, I think a pretty strong appointment. Yeah, I could care. I think it's uh, exciting times for women's cricket in England. I think they've got a lot of good young players coming through. The team is being freshened up at a speed faster than I have ever seen. One of my biggest criticisms of an English women's setup has been that it's been a little bit of a closed shop for a little bit too mm. long, but that's been a function of the lack of professionals. And the last thing I want us to have a quick look at is we've already discussed that there are more women professionals coming through in England than ever before next year. And with professionalism comes gimmickry mm. and the hundred has announced it's going to have a draft. Now, I, I, young people love drafts and I have to say that, that I'm, I'm not young anymore. They get very excited. They stay up till the middle of the night imagining who might be picked for whom. And I get it. I get it. It's a bit like, you know, swapping cards in the playground and <laughs> creating fantasy teams and all that. I, I don't have time for it. Um, it's, it's a bit of pizzazz. Yeah. It's a bit of razzmatazz and it's entirely in keeping with a hundred. I'm not opposed to it, but Rory, can you explain how it's working? Because my, the only takeaway I had was that each team retains four players, and that seems like a very small number. Yeah, to so me. I'm strongly against it. I think um, I think any of the gains that they've made in the hundred, and specifically the women's hundred, uh, are compromised by blowing up their squads and reassigning players. It's what is my least favourite thing about all these franchise tournaments when they go, "Oh, this is the year when we're gonna just like throw all the cards up in the air and oh, the mega auction. auction, everyone, you yeah. know." And all the people where you'd got mm. used to thinking that so-and-so played for this team turns out not anymore. So listen, this year in the 100, or next year rather, the teams are going to have four retained players, guaranteed retained players from their current squads. Within that, they can then, which again, this is absolute, I hate even talking about this gobbledygook. I don't know why they do it. They've got a right to match card. Now that is, that's lifted directly <laughs> off from the IPL. So what it means is you can tell someone they're ditched and then when somebody else wants them, you can go, ha no, we're going to have them actually. We're going to have them back. You can, you can take someone back. But why? It's like, I don't know. Why would you go why? back? If you, got, like, if you got dumped by your girlfriend and then the only time she wanted to drop you a message was mm. when somebody else was inviting you out for a drink. I'm not sure you'd be that keen. Uh, so they've got that. The hundred organizers no, no. say that they anticipate <laughs> plenty more retentions and that once the, once the retentions are named, and uh, there's, a, there's a draft system where you pick up another four players in the draft. And presumably that's where the, basically that's where the fifth best member of your squad is going to end up somewhere else because that's the players who are going to be available. Mm -hmm. um, and they expect plenty more attentions within the open market because it's, the squads are going to be filled up with just private negotiation as they were in the women's edition for the last couple of years. But I just, it, it, it doesn't strike me well. I think... I think the, the one thing the 100 desperately needs is identity and continuity and narrative. Right. And what you've got is a team who've won the thing twice under actually Jonathan Batty, who maybe was another strong candidate for the women's job, by the way. Um, 
You've got a team who won the thing twice, and they're going to say, right, you can have four of them, and everyone else can just pilfer off the best of them. And I don't know, yeah. I, don't, I do not know why they should be punished for putting together the best team. Well, that was my initial thought, which is that, you know, the, the Oval Invincibles have created an identity. Mm-hmm. Conversely, actually, the Welsh fire created an identity. <laughs> one of um, well, they'll get so, one of perpetual. perpetual so they'll loss, get first. They'll but, get first pick in the draft. That's their reward for being garbage. I don't get it. I don't like it. It's yeah, a bit of a misstep, exactly. I think. This and 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 the and the Oval Invincibles are actually a side that you know, in women's cricket terms, in England, you, you, people who like women's cricket can yeah, name yeah. the Oval Invincibles team. And from next season, they won't be able to name exactly. them because there might only be <laughs> exactly. four of them who are the same, which would be really, really confusing. Oh, Donny Van Nieke. No, no, she's not at the Oval Invincibles anymore. She's at the Trent Rockets. How come? Um, I mean, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but it's artificial and manufactured it's artificial. in a competition yeah. that could really do with not having those words thrown at it all the time. I couldn't agree with you more because that is the criticism that's thrown at it. So why not give it a chance to bed down and give the teams a chance to have some Correct. identity because they are getting there and especially yeah. in the women's game, which is uh, an area of the hundred that is definitely not broken. Um, it's time for us to say goodbye. We will be back after the final pointless <laughs> ODL between England to do and a good Australia to 25 on do it. a bit of card over that. <laughs> yeah, well, we might. But we'll also at that point be looking forward to the England Test Series, which begins in Pakistan in next to no time. There's a warm-up game happening in uh, the UAE on the 23rd of November, which is about four days away. It's that yeah. crazy. And it's also why absolutely none of their players, if you're wondering, none of those Test players are playing in the ODI squad. Anyway, thank you for listening to England Cricket on 99.94, where we speak cricket every day. Please do rate, review, and subscribe wherever you enjoy your podcast. You can download the 99.94 app, and follow us on Twitter at, in my case, Norcross Cricket. And in Rory's case, at... The RVD. Not on Mastodon. Can't be bothered. No, I haven't got onto that yet. I'll, I'm just going to wait and see how it goes. I'm, I've only just got into Twitter, to be really honest with you. Never miss out. Join our 24-7 conversation on social media. And follow us at 99.94 DM Cricket. Every day, your way. Around 10,000 BCE, families and tribes of the ancestors to the people of Britain would arrive in the southern part of the island after crossing from land that bridged from Europe. The Welsh built houses, communities, kingdoms, and continued to survive through Romans, Saxons, Danes, and Normans. The language and culture influenced by these sources continued to change and thrive, becoming ancient and modern at the same time. Join me as we travel through the history, meeting the kings, queens, nobles, and everyday people that create and grew modern Wales from the seeds of the ancient past. Creoso, and welcome to the Welsh History Podcast.